Major League Baseball is finally back, and as the new season gets underway, the Ringer Podcast Network has baseball fans covered with the Ringer MLB Show, playing exclusively on the TuneIn app for the month of April. On top of that, the Ringer Podcast Network has partnered with TuneIn to give baseball fans a free 60-day trial of TuneIn Premium to listen to every live home call from every MLB game around the league. Catch the Ringer MLB Show only on TuneIn during April, and with your premium subscription, listen to live MLB games on TuneIn. Just go to TuneIn.com slash Ringer and subscribe. Download the TuneIn app and start listening today. TuneIn, your everything audio app. I need sports to have to clear the room. Stand up and walk now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I'm editor at TheRinger.com and joining me in the studio, he's got a surprise album dropping at midnight. It's Andy Greenwald! It's the re-up. Let's do this. Let's go, Kendrick. Thursday. Uh, Andy, we were probably talking about Kendrick Lamar's new album on Monday, I would hope. Is that really coming tonight? It's supposed to be coming out tonight, but today... How do, you, do you know that from your industry sources? I don't know about that. I know it from checking the internet. You'll have to show me how to do that. Uh, yeah, you just gotta plug the phone right into the back of the computer. We are doing a mailbag pod today. We just That's got nice. done. I guess we could tease it, right? We just got done recording a very exciting pod with a guest. Yeah, we won't say the guest. We'll just say that one of the major shows coming back this month, we will have an exclusive-ish podcast with the creator of that show after the second episode airs. Is that vague enough? That's vague enough. I think people can guess. I mean, it's not like this person has 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 departed or anything, right? But right. it's not like he's lost. No, no, he's here. Uh, Andy, today is a mailbag episode. So we're going to burn through some questions from our listeners. Thank you to everybody who sent in questions to the at the watch pod uh, Twitter account. Zach Mack was nice enough to compile these into different categories. Um, Do you make a spreadsheet? Yeah. Well, Zach wanted to, you know, the, the main questions that people were asking, these are repeat questions. They want to talk about the expanse and the missing, neither of which we've seen. <laughs> I, I watched the missing you season watched the missing. one, by I've the not way. Seen the, it's I, very good. And I've watched a few episodes of the expanse. Where's my Checky Cario hive? They out there? You remember that dude? <laughs> no. You don't Who's remember that, that dude? He's the Russian actor, but like. Oh, that guy. Yeah, he's he's the best thing in the missing. Yeah, he's going to be in the Russiagate movie, I bet. Oh, he'd have a big role to play. Um, and then people want to talk about S-Town, but mostly people also want to ask about what's the next book in the Double Down Book Club after after we had so much love for Zoo Station. People really like that. That was awesome. Uh, we were debating this. I think that we will... I think we're landing on a book. Uh, Jeffrey Vandermeer's? Jeff Vandermeer's. Jeff, Man- Jeff Vandermeer's Annihilation. Yeah. Now, Annihilation is a kind of... Uh, a little bit of a sci-fi, I yeah. guess you could say, book. Um, and we can put up a link to it. It is being made into a film. It's already, I think it's been shot, and it's going to be released yeah. this year with Natalie Portman. Tessa Thompson. Tessa Thompson. It's directed by Alex Garland, who made Ex Machina. So we're very excited for the movie. We've, you know, The, the book, movie looks gorgeous. And um, the- I would say, actually, you know, it is, it, it, it's not, it shouldn't be, it would be like a, a very good book if you like Lost, if you mm-hmm. like, bo- like, sci-fi it, that is di- like in the real world, but is a little bit tweaked. I think you would really like this. Yeah, it's, it's a it's a book that is inspired by Vandermeer's, I think he lives in Florida. Mm-hmm. And it's basically like, it's very, very into the idea of the natural world run amok. So there are a lot of details of uh, various fungi and moss and lichen and trees. It's very, it's a very creepy book. It sneaks up on you. It's the first book in the Southern Reach trilogy. We are not requiring you to read books two or books three, because I think Chris and I both had mixed feelings about them. Yeah, but totally Annihilation honest. itself is is pretty great. It reminds me, you know, every once in a while you come across like a page turner like this, like The Ruins was like this for mm-hmm. me, where you're just like, gosh, look what it... Just an incredible year. Or The Passage. Yeah, The Passage was like this. So, yeah. I, I think it'd also be really fun for us, just as a, as a community, as a podcast family, to have read this book, talked about it, and then just be super hyped for the movie. Yeah. 
because I do think— It's a 360-degree deal. I also don't think that this is uh, dinging the book in any way to say that I think the movie has the potential to be even better um, just because of the type of story it is and that Alex Garland, who is himself a novelist, is making it. I'm, I'm pretty psyched. So I think that'll be a fun book to discuss. Um, let's get into these questions. You've got mail. Okay, first question comes from Malcolm, and I think this is an interesting one because Malcolm asks, I'm, well, he's not asking, he's actually saying. He's telling. I'm over comic books as IP. What's Amen. next? Rap skits, fake shows, <laughs> movies within other shows and movies, radio or podcasts? <clears throat> first of all, I remain uh, patiently waiting for Method Man's torture skit on the first Wu-Tang album to become at least a 10-part miniseries. I know. Preferably on a, a pay cable channel. That yeah, can, that can really it's like blue. a Blumhouse kind of thing. I think that could be incredible. Um, yeah, look, I mean, it, it's interesting. I'll, I'll say this before we even get into the other possibilities. I, too, am exhausted by, by comic book IP. Can I ask you something? But, yeah, oh, yeah. My follow-up. You got Real- to follow-up mid-thought. I didn't even finish my thought. Have you identified why that is? Well, this is that's exactly what I was getting at. I think it's because they've calcified into the same story. I think that adaptations of anything can be anything, but we've now come to understand comic book adaptations as um, portentous origin stories, you know, as building to an inevitable world-rattling climax between a good guy and a bad guy and a very certain type of Nolan, almost Christopher Nolan-y type of experience, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that... On TV, they've taken you know, different forms, and obviously I'm a partisan of, of Legion, but even if you look at, like, like the Marvel Netflix shows have their own uh, fatal flaw, which is that all of them, and I, okay, I'm not counting Iron Fist because everyone says it's terrible, but the three other shows all had enormously promising aspects to them. Uh, Daredevil, I'm talking about Daredevil, Jessica Jones, yeah. and, and Luke Cage. Um, I loved aspects of all three of them. I was unable to finish most of them because... Again, they're just stuck in this rigid format. This is not 13 episodes of television. So I think if one of these projects that's been announced, and I actually am kind of hopeful about Kevin Beagle, who made the the sitcom Enlisted, is a really funny show, really talented writer, is making a show for Freeform, which is what ABC Family used to be called The New Warriors, and the main character is the Marvel character Squirrel Girl. Mm. Wasn't Squirrel Girl going to be like a whole thing? Squirrel Girl is a thing now in the comic books. And so was it Anne Hathaway going to play Squirrel Girl? No, Anna Kendrick was like Anna Kendrick raising was like, her hand yeah. like the emoji uh, to say like, let me play Squirrel Girl. Right. Um, I'm just saying like, okay, that is going to be something different. And so there's possibility there. But to the larger question, what's next? First answer is IRL, man. The, the biggest unexploited IP is recent history, right? That's the O.J. Simpson Oliver Stone stuff. would disagree with you. <laughs> he's, he's been mining those fields for quite some time. <laughs> yeah. Those killing fields. But um, yeah, I mean, like we have we have feud, we have American Crime Story. I mean, rip, grabbing things from the headlines and the spirit of Law and Order and turning them into prestige miniseries yeah. has been the thing. But what what what's what else is out there? Well, I think it'll be interesting to see what happens when. Podcast. What he wants us to I, talk I, about? Podcast. To, I know. <laughs> I'm doing the podcast, Zach. Sam Esmail. Who is that? Who Zach? That was Zach Back, yeah. our producer. That's producer. You can't see him. Save this part. <laughs> that was the CEO of Panoply Media. <laughs> Go on. I thought that was like some guy running in. <laughs> Do your job. <laughs> I think it'll be interesting to see uh, what will happen if any of the prestige podcasts that are out there, like the narrative podcasts, like whether it's S-Town, whether it's, uh, what was the one that Catherine, Isaac, Catherine Keener and Oscar Isaac were Homecoming. doing? Homecoming. That, that Sam Esmail is adapting. Is he actually adapting that? Yeah, that was a, it was a bidding war and it went to Sam and his company. 
Oh, congratulations to him. Mm-hmm. You know, the other one that I think is flying under the radar is just a pretty rich piece of IP is the Andy Greenwald podcast. Yeah, I think that's, there's some it's really, been, the music is great. I think the music is great by the Scottish band Churches. I think yeah. the conversation that Andy had with like Sam Rockwell, Colin Farrell, like these were like bangers that could really become 8, 10, 15 episode miniseries. Yeah, good luck with that. Sure, I'm developing it. <laughs> um, but, okay. But, but, but to your point, like so that, I don't, I, that, I, you know, honestly, I, I don't think they're going to make, like, I don't think there's going to be a good movie about like the Russia scandal. You know what I mean? I don't think there's going to be a good movie about the 2016 election. The, the thing that would be interesting to watch, to, to, to make a good adaptation of something that jumps mediums, you have to understand and respect the abilities of each medium as a distinct entity. And like that's why the Watchmen movie was such a failure because it slavishly tried to recreate what the comic book did and that doesn't work on the screen, right? And so it'll be interesting to see um, as these podcasts are developed into TV shows or movies, if there is an understanding of why they worked as podcasts, right? Like what what made it more compelling for it to be audio only? What do you gain by adding visuals? And I don't know, I'd like to think that people like Sam and the other people who are involved in this stuff will be paying attention to that. But I think that's the tricky thing to see as we enter into that world. But the, the bottom line to the, Malcolm's question is, all IP is fair game. Yeah, baby. comics or westerns, just get used to them. They're going to be around for a while. They may like fluctuate in and out in terms of their popularity, but they are a reality. Uh, Noah asks, with Atlanta, Fargo, Americans, People versus OJ, Mm-hmm. Has FX stolen the prestige television belt from HBO? And if not, what would it take? First of all, Noah Hawley, you can just text me that question. You yeah. don't need to like, you don't need to, to, to tweet it. Um, so the question is, why why is FX dope? Um, I think it's it's has FX kind of taken the the belt from HBO is specifically what he's asking. But I would actually, I, I can I can take this one actually. Mm, go for it. I would say that um, uh, show for show, night for night. And maybe even month for month, Ooh. I think FX has maybe a stronger lineup than what HBO has. But what HBO has that FX has never quite been able to find is uh, me and Andy. No, it's been it's been the show that stops tot, stops the clock. I agree. It's with the that. show that everybody wants to say we're watching the Sunday night. It is, you know, this is what everybody's talking about on Monday morning. Everybody's waiting on the edge of their seat for it to come back the next week, the next season. And uh, FX has never found its Game of Thrones or its mm-hmm. Walking Dead. I think even with OJ, mm-hmm. which had a ton of momentum, mm-hmm. um, that was still something we knew was going to end. You know what I mean? And I don't think that FX has developed with its- with, with acquittal. Well, yeah, he got away with it. I know, but like they haven't figured out a yeah. uh, a central show. And in a lot of ways, FX and HBO's fortunes right now. This is just my read on it. Mm. Reflect how a television has changed. Because HBO actually has several tentpole shows, mm-hmm. Big Little Lies, uh, Game of Thrones, and then you know, but like when it was on, True Detective was actually like a quite quite a big big deal, uh, and they have like five of those shows, three three to five of those shows a year, right? And they put on like what twelve shows a year? Not very many. Not that many. FX has a bunch of doubles and triples. Yes, and I think that they are starting to fill up the scoreboard with doubles and triples. And as those shows keep going on and growing and getting better, and they add and add and add, cumulatively, that library is going to almost seem as as impressive as HBO's. I completely agree with with that read. I think you've done a very good job with that. Thank I, you so I, much. And I, and I, I'm and so I, glad. And, and what I'm I'm saying is there is no question that FX would like to have a Walking Dead or they a Game want, of they, Thrones. Didn't they go for Walking Dead? They passed on. Walking they passed Dead. on Walking Dead. Um, but I think it is actually a very smart strategy to go the other way, to go for doubles and triples, to have the critical darlings, to have the risk takers, to attract the talent 
and give them the freedom to do things like Atlanta. Mm -hmm. um, it's funny that it's come full circle, but HBO's greatest strength, even as it went through a rocky year or two, um, is it goes all the way back to its original ad slogan, which is that it's not TV, it's HBO. HBO has the biggest bullhorn and the biggest footprint, and one of the smartest things that decision that they made was never to expand. They, they experimented a little bit with Monday nights. I think they put bored to death on Monday nights and then immediately gave up on that plan. Mm -hmm. um, was they never expanded beyond Sundays. They said this is the one night of the week that's going to drive conversation and this is where we are. And more than the shows, I think that other networks wish they had that megaphone. Um, and sometimes the shows that are given that megaphone don't deserve it, like vinyl and, and, are, and are dealt with. But, you know, I think Big Little Lies in many ways is a page from the FX playbook to take a piece of not necessarily celebrated IP, give it to talented people, bring in a lot of talent, bring in more talented people and have it be a limited series and just let it run, you know, and then, but HBO, HBO'd it up with yeah. the biggest names. Yeah. And it, as we said um, on Monday, when we talked to Alice and it cut through the clutter. Yeah. So I think that's interesting to, to know, but th those two networks plus the plus Netflix are the, they're the biggest dogs at the moment. Kyle wants to know if you were separately making a Mount Rushmore of TV comedies and dramas, I separate, separate Mount Rushmore. Like from so each other? Four Mount Rushmores, I guess. Wow. That's a lot of Mount Rushmores. Uh, what shows would you choose? Land is cheap. So four shows, I guess, per. Damn. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna add a little bit of a layer here. <clears throat> yeah. Kyle's talking about because I'm not prepared for the this. presidents on Mount Rushmore aren't just like popular or cool. I mean, all presidents I love, I are love, popular. I love cool, cool presidents. <laughs> um, that, that's but a they're new show also I'm pitching. formative. Uh, I think that they had a lot to do with you know making the country what it is for better and for worse. Yeah. So. What would you say, putting you on the spot? See, that's tough. Drama wise, because I know you're, you know, comedy wise, like it's kind of harder because you, comedy, you could just say like Seinfeld, Friends, Cosby, you know, you could just kind of like the, the comedies are there. I think it would be interesting to talk about comedy recently, mm -hmm. but we could maybe table that. But for dramas, I'm always curious because everybody's got their personal favorites. Yes. But what do you think are the formative ones? Well, I think particularly in regards to drama, it's a very tricky question because I think. You know, people will will push back on on one or two, but I think that for the era of television that we are most um, uh, involved in, that it has that we discuss, it's a pretty easy Mount Rushmore, right? It's Sopranos, The Wire, Breaking Bad, and Mad Men. But what you're talking about is formative, and so we we have to this that that all that that those that being Mount Rushmore. It depends on a kind of like cultural revolution idea of like 2000, 1999 being year zero of yeah, television. Right, right. Um, you have to think about the shows that made those shows and you could make a case for NYPD Blue or Hill Street Blues or Twin Peaks, you know, which people or are going to ER. be talking about yeah. again or certainly or, or ER. Um, so I or some blending of them, you know, I think that those four shows are probably the best serialized dramas that television has ever made. Um, or you could put, but, you'd say Twin Peaks and X-Files could go on there too, because arguably it, those shows have had a bigger impact on the, what's getting made now yeah. in terms of like the best of what we're doing. You know, like when you watch a Leftovers and when you watch, uh, you know. Uh, Genre storytelling, yeah. serialized storytelling, fan engagement with storytelling. Um, on the comedy side, I wonder, like, is it easier or harder to do it? Like, what would, uh, Cheers. Cheers, Seinfeld, um, you know, and then I, I could make an argument that something like Thirty Rock, which is just joke for joke, maybe the funniest show in the history of television, but shouldn't shouldn't Mash be on there? Should Friends be on there? Uh, I'm gonna say no. 
Uh, that's just personal. I would personally, I mean, like for me personally, I would make an argument in terms of its inventiveness for how I met your mother. Interesting. But yeah. also that's a different conversation too. That may be formative for what we see going forward. And then you get because, into Chappelle and then you get into living color and then you get into, oh, I, yeah. Like, as, as a veteran of making nonsense lists when yeah. I was a TV critic, I would just arbitrarily say sketch shows I'm not going to consider animated shows I'm not going to consider, which is ridiculous too, because the Simpsons should probably be on it 30 years. I mean, I think the Simpsons was the number one, was the number one show in TV history in uh, Matt Seitz and Alan Seppenwald's book. This sounds like it's almost like an episode unto itself. It's interesting. I feel like I'm going to look to our producer, Zach. Is he still nodding or does he want us to do a Mount Rushmore podcast? No, he's like, how come you guys haven't talked about all the Gimlet properties yet? He just wants me to make sound effects like they do on Radiolab. Um, we'll we'll table this. We'll come back to it Great some question. other time. You know, and a lot of these questions, I don't know the names here, but there was one uh, question from one person that I was a little disturbed to get from. Oh. And it's like, it's like, you know, you don't mind if mm. your adversaries or enemies or your nemesis like listen to the show. But mm -hmm. to see Shea Serrano's name on this list was a little disappointing. Ugh. Um, Gosh. And it really, the question sort of matches the the character of, of the person of asking the man. it. Yeah. Uh, why will you all never talk about Sons of Anarchy? I'm tired of the anti-Jax Teller bias you all have. He should be celebrated. You know, I met Shay for the first time at the uh, the Ringer holiday party, mm -hmm. and we had a very pleasant conversation. That was complete bullshit. Based on what I thought was a facade of mutual respect. Yeah. Um, and the way I was able to do that was that I did not mention my uh, antipathy <laughs> for uh, pre for um, basic cable biker gang dramas because I knew that that would have, I mean, it was a very polite event. Sure. You know, it's the holiday were, season. The holiday season, people were gathered by, uh, by, by the Simmons family pool. Sure. I didn't want anyone splashing down. So can we take the high road here? I mean, I know it's hard with the guy I like would Shea. just say this to Shay, that it is about to be Charlie Hunnam sees him out in this bitch. <laughs> That's true. Charlie Hunnam is so good in Lost City of Z. Did you see which it? Is coming out. Yeah. And uh, he looks very convincing as King Arthur. And... Continues to just, his stock just keeps going up by missing out on the Fifty Shades of Grey train. Really strong point on that. Do so you, I think it's like, everything's coming up on him. In many ways, do you think the most influential person of the century so far is the is Judd Apatow's casting director? Yes. Because she cast Freaks and Geeks and Undeclared. Yeah. And I remember thinking, like, as the Freaks and Geeks cast were ascendant, being like, too bad the same magic didn't strike with Undeclared. Even yeah. though I like that show a lot. But your boy Hunnam... He just needed to percolate. If you've got a little bit of money burning a hole in your khakis, mm -hmm. put a little money on Hunnam to be next Bond. Whoa! Just out, just put it out, put it out there. You just, you just keep these these little truth bombs. Look, in all seriousness, I, I I couldn't f with Sons of Anarchy. I just didn't, I just didn't do it. And it's actually perfect for me because that was one of the shows that was like well into its run when I became a TV critic, and I could just say, sorry, peak TV can't catch up. Yeah. And then now I'm no longer a critic right when the spinoff is starting. So I basically live in the uncanny the valley right? between, yeah, between um, uh, Kurt Sutter projects. Um, Andrew wants to know, if Ridley Scott claims he has five more Alien sequels possible, do you think an Alien franchise would be better served as a television show? Here's the thing, Andrew. You are absolutely right. I am what? a big Alien fan. So, like, I love that franchise. Mm -hmm. I, I find merit in every one of the movies. Some you say of them, you find Mara? Like Mara. Kate, Kate and Rooney? Um, that neither one of them has been in the Alien because franchise, if Kate but it's Ro coming. If Kate Mara was in one, I would see that They're running out of actresses to be in the these films anyway. Like, to So I'm sure that they are coming. To have their sternums cracked? Um, I was lucky enough to see a little bit of Covenant when we went down to South by Southwest. So I saw like 20 minutes of it. Who are you? You're full of all these thoughts and observations. You see movies? Here's the thing. As you can tell from the trailer, 
Covenant is about a group of people who don't have any idea that there is something like an alien out there who arrive at a planet to do ostensibly one thing and then obviously get consumed by, by literally way, and figuratively. That by, thing is bone, right? Right. Isn't it like Temptation Island, the movie with an alien? Yeah. Or isn't it about couples who go to a planet? Yeah, to just it's like, like they're going to colonize. Right. It's dope. Um, it's a great idea. I realized while watching it, well, it's incredibly, it's incredible to look at, and I can't wait for the film, and I think it does delve deeper into like some of the Prometheus mythology that gets mm. set up in the previous film, that I, the, the things that are cool to me about the Alien franchise are actually not the thrills and the scares. Those are nice like, I love the fact that they're there. I find Alien very scary. The action scenes in Aliens are amazing. Mm. There's some stuff in Alien 3. There's All this stuff is, is true. But to me, it was always, like, I was always curious about, like, Whalen yutani Corporation and um, what, and, and Prometheus really hints at this, like, where these things come from and who made them and what you, they're... You want the Paul Reiser spinoff. I do. I want to know what Burke is up That's to. That's all you <laughs> How did Burke wind up on, in a vest on that ship? Yeah. So Your uh, favorite character in Avatar was Rabisi Putting. Like, yeah. you, you just like the business bro. So I just really would love to see, I mean, in the same way, I think that we, we often will say, like, oh, there could be a TV show and you could just play around with it. Um, I think that there is a lot more going on in the Alien franchise than just going down a dark hall and getting and getting your head fit ripped off yeah i mean there is there is the deep space nine version of this universe where you're like okay we're gonna also, we're gonna talk about flash like, really scott is like 80 i don't know how he's gonna make five <laughs> more alien movies no he is guy pierce in in prometheus yeah, right? right like that's gonna be his move he's got Mac michael fassbender shooting hoops in his uh studio trying to just figure stuff out for him no there's the deep space nine version of it where it's like you set up a show about the mining colony at the edge of the universe that runs into something i i think that i i I hear you and I agree with you, but I also think that that runs the risk of stripping out the compelling thing about the thing. Right. You know, uh, the mining colony, the Charles, to quote the great Charles Dutton, the prison colony of rapists of women, a speech that runs in my head because they ran that ad. You, you guys don't know what it was like having to watch ads in the ad for Alien 3 where Charles Dutton is like, I am a rapist of women. Um Anyway, like the story of how they all got there is kind of interesting, but they were made more interesting by the fact that a chest-cracking alien was about to go mess things up. So I'm I'm anti. Not everything has to be a TV show. Um, I want to get through a couple more of these. Do you think we will ever see a pay-per-view model emerge for some traditional content like award shows, sporting events, or television shows? Um, what was the last one on the list? Or, or traditional television shows. Like pay-per-view. I mean, we are reaching, kind of reaching that point as the bundle gets broken up and we get more into a la carte over-the-top viewing. I mean, CBS is really trying to do this. There is a Good Wife spinoff starring I, I Queen. I subscribe to CBS All Access because I get to, it, it's wow. a very pleasant survivor experience to watch and I get good fight. But like, that, that is a pretty big bet. They are spending network money on a TV show. Guess who show. has money? CBS. Yes. No, I know, but and they're going to have a Star Trek show, and a majority of Americans and a majority of CBS viewers, who by the way are Americans, uh, don't know this thing exists. Yeah. But they are playing the long game that people will pay to see the one or two things they want to see. And they have they have a, it's also like the library, and it's like a, a viewing experience that is like relatively pleasant to like go through. Just like you can just watch these episodes. To the other question, um, right now we are in a place where award shows and sporting events are the killer app that keep people from cutting their cords. and But should we enter a more uncertain future where everyone is cutting cords Bezos and buying... coming, though. Where, well, where people start buying a la carte packages and bundles, then you will start seeing the ability to not have basic TV but be able to pay twenty nine ninety nine to watch the Super Bowl. Or I whatever, still think sure. what's going to happen is that there's going to be this increasingly, like, 
moving away from paying the one fee mm-hmm. to a cable provider and getting 300 channels and a DVR, you're going to keep going further and further away to where you're subscribing to like five to 10 to 15 different sub- packages yep. to get this. And then there will be a unification where like then someone is going to figure out a way to be like pay one fee and get Netflix and get Amazon yes. and get this. who's going to bundle the anti bundlers I don't I don't I don't know Also we we are still enjoying reaping the Jack benefits Donaghy. of the <laughs> probably Jack Donaghy. We are still reaping the benefits of this ridiculous uh, hypothetical arms race where every tiny network that once survived solely by cable carriage fees is trying to build a library to become one of the last packages standing. So that's why AMC Networks is putting shows on IFC like Brockmire, which is apparently good, or Sundance Channel, which is another one channel in their portfolio. Sure. They have Happen Leonard coming back on top of the lake. If we reach a point where it's like, now people are really only going to pay for three of these, five of these, and guess what, AMC? You have The Walking Dead, but you might not be one of them. Is AMC going to be like, okay, well, we are now going to partner with FX yeah. and we're going to become the true titan of this. We are not anywhere near that, but that might be an interesting thing to, 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 to hypothesize about. We'll be back to answer more of your questions. Let's just take a quick break from our sponsors. This episode is sponsored in part by Delta Airlines and their Delta Studio. You know, up in the air, you're flying, you just want to catch up on stuff. Sometimes it's a little bit dicey up there, though. You don't know, like, am I going to be able to have access to my shows, to my pods, to my videos, whatever. Delta Studio offers access to every type of entertainment for every passenger, 100% for free. There's over a thousand hours of entertainment, all for free, and you can choose from up to 300 movies, HBO, Showtime, 18 channels of live satellite television on select flights. You get the pod thousands of songs, TV shows, and games. Delta has also partnered with content partners including HGTV, Refinery29, Food Network, Hulu, WMYC Studios, Curious World, Headspace, and Disney XD. So dig into Delta Studio today. You can stream it on your laptop, your iPhone, your iPad, your Android tablet, all by downloading the GoGo Entertainment app. This episode of The Watch is also brought to you by our good buddies over at Sonos. Do you want to watch television and movies and experience music with a sound you can feel from a speaker that you'll hardly notice? Well, Playbase from Sonos gives you just that. Its low-profile design practically disappears beneath your television, yet it fills your entire viewing room with epic home theater audio. From movies and sports to television shows and gaming, the slim, low-profile Playbase adds dynamic, pulse-pounding sound to whatever's playing on your television. It even streams your favorite music when it's off. Plus, it was created for televisions that sit on stands and furniture. No wall mounting is required. In fact, one power cord and one optical cord is all it takes. You don't even have to read the manual. The Sonos app guides you through every step of the setup. Playbase securely supports televisions up to 75 pounds, which covers just about any TV that comes with its own stand. And it works with almost all television, cable box, and universal remotes. So the remotes you have are all you'll need. Everything sounds better on Playbase. See for yourself and go to Sonos.com to learn more. That's S-O-N-O-S.com. You've got mail. Okay, Andy, we're back. We're going to answer a couple more questions here. Uh, Jen wants to know, I have to ask your thoughts about the possibility of a writer's strike, uh, which I think you should handle. Because I'm freaked out? Yeah, so can you give me like a 30-second primer on what's going on? Yes. Uh, Why aren't you guys just like psyched that it's peak TV? Every few (laughs) years, obviously, there's a renegotiation between the various guilds, the Director's Guild, the Writer's Guild, the Producer's Guild, Screen Actors Guild, with the conglomerate representing the studios who have signed on to the agreement. And those set things like um, studio... So in terms of the Writers Guild, things like the studio's compensation towards the writer's pension plans and the health plans and also what you get paid. But basically, there's a floor 
for what you can get paid as a story editor on a network sitcom or as a supervising producer on a premium cable uh, drama. That's all you know negotiated and worked out and also other things like residual rights and blah, blah, blah. Um, at the moment, the deal, current deal with the writers expires May 1st. And the writer's beef, and I will include myself in this because that's I'm, I'm a member of the guild now, is basically that uh, record profits right now coming from TV. And this is TV and movie writers. Mm-hmm. $51 billion worth of profits going to the studios. And the argument is that the writers are not getting their fair share of that, um, particularly because you know to, to shore up the health plan, but also because um, other things have affected writers' salaries. Like, yes, it's peak TV. But apparently, the average salary of a working TV writer, for example, has gone down right. because now there are shorter seasons, which everyone says is great creatively. But that means you are locked into 10 episodes worth of pay, and you're paid by the episode. And you could be in production on those 10 episodes for longer than 10 weeks. You could sure. be in production of them for half of the year. Then you may need to get another job or another job. And some people might say, how great, you can work on two or three shows a year. Maybe, and you could make more money, but some of these shows lock you in. You can't work on another show. You are contractually obligated to work on those 10 episodes of that one. So the opportunity to make more money seems to be limited. So they want to debate that. Anyway, all of this is to say it is a crazy, crazy time for content, and some people worry that it's a bubble, um, and writers want to make sure they're getting their fair share of it because certainly at the moment people are profiting off of it. Personally, I'm super freaked out because now I'm a member of the Guild and I feel like I just got here. This is fun. Um, And, you know, I think there's real concern on all people's parts that were there to be another major work stoppage and shows would go off the air or not come back for a while, that um, it would really only hurt the writers and also the directors and also the the traditional television networks. Because this is my opinion now. The one entity, the entities that are really going to probably okay with a strike are the Netflixes of the world, the Amazons of the world. Because they're like, we got the library. Look what we have. Yeah. Exactly. You like, can catch up with billions now. <laughs> I can finally catch up with billions. But that's really true. Like, well, all the, well, it would be noticeable that CBS doesn't have new shows on in the fall when they usually do. Netflix can just be like, well, look what we got. We have all the old shows, plus all the shows we put on when you weren't paying attention. So I think in terms of maintaining the status quo of content and keeping people working, I very much hope there's not a work stoppage. But I'm freaked out. That's a, that's a very good answer. Uh, last l- sort of larger question, and then we'll get into some quick response things. In light of the endings that we have recently gone through or are about to have happen, which is Rectify, Girls, and soon The Leftovers, what are some of your favorite series endings? Mine's a really easy answer. Say it. Friday Night Lights. I was going to say it. Friday yeah, Night most satisfying series ending I can think of. It's really hard to think of one better than that. I mean, yeah. I think now that we live in an era where comedies have to end, too, and a lot is expected of them, I think 30 Rock was was pretty perfect. I think Parks and Recreation was pretty perfect. Um, but, and, and, I, and I would say that one of the brilliant things that Breaking Bad did was basically end twice, one for each kind of fan. Mm-hmm. Um, they're the people who, who liked the way uh, Granite State, I think it was called, ended the second to last episode, and that was the episode where Walt is, is in um, hiding. New Hampshire yeah. for the whole episode, and that's sort of the dark, dark ending. And then Emily Nussbaum from The New Yorker had a great theory where she she wanted the show to end of the second to last episode and consider the final episode with a lot of its fan servicing to be a dream, like Walt's dying dream. Yeah. But I loved the way it did both. Um, it's, it's such an interesting question in today's day and age. Friday Night Lights purely satisfying on an emotional level and on a plot level, and it was just a thrill there's a whole other category to be discussed, and maybe we'll talk about this at a future time too, um, of shows that ended in ways that I didn't love, but you respect. 
because that's what the creator was doing. You know, that feeling of like, oh, that's what the show was. And I felt that way about the Mad Men ending, for example. I was kind of out on it. The more I thought about it, the more I kind of twisted myself into knots to appreciate it. Yeah. But it's not what I wanted. But then it, I kind of like that we're in an era where shows that feel like they belong to all of us, their final moments are like, no, this was just some dude in Burbank's show. He ended it the way he wanted it to. <laughs> I'm going to burn through some quick ones here. Favorite Showtime series that ruined itself by staying on the air past its expiration date? Homeland? Um, yes. Follow-up answer, all of them? Like, is there a Showtime show that ended in an appropriate fashion? No, I think that Billions has become the very best version of Billions it is right now. I don't know what season nine of Billions is going to be about. Although, it doesn't. Billions is not like Homeland in that it is not... It doesn't have a ticking bomb inside of it, yes. literally and figuratively. Yes. That's the second time I've done that today. But it's like Homeland, actually because of the stakes, has become season seven of 24. And I know some people are, are fans of this season, but um, it, it can't actually sustain what it's doing because every the main character and the plot are both like in the red. Yeah, Billions is very cool and controlled. It's like a nice merino v-neck sweater it's like you know it's not it is not tearing your skin off and it it is it has the ability to shift up and shift down i have not uh dived back into billion season two like scrooge mcduck into a vault full of money like everyone's suggesting that i should but i have to say this even from a distance it strikes me as the the perfect showtime show and i've said this you know i i showtime makes some very good choices they make some very questionable choices um but there is a certain type of show that works best considering the way they operate. Shameless is another one. Shameless is essentially a network show with cable show problems and cable show content. It can run forever because it's a family show. Um, Billions seems to be the perfect show for Showtime because as you're saying, it has a sense of fun. It has a sense of play. It's set in a very specific world. It could run forever and it wouldn't feel wrong, right? Um, and that in, in and of itself puts it a little bit out of step with what we've come to think of as prestige dramas that have, for the most part, like Homeland, asked a big question and then taken four to six seasons to answer that question. Yeah, I think that like we're Showtime is interesting because they treat quote unquote prestige dramas as if they are long running network television shows. Mm -hmm. LA Law, NYPD Blue, like ER, whatever you want. But they have the stakes and the setup of something that really should only go on for. 20 episodes, perhaps. Yeah, or the frenzied pace. And yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. So, um, okay, let's burn through a couple more of these. Andy, can I get a letter from American's Island? Letter from American's Island? Wow, yeah, we, we haven't talked letter. about it. I got to say, Chris, so this has been a very interesting season. So far, this has, I think it has been a slightly weaker season. I've not said this publicly before, but we're only you know part of the way through it. Um, one of the most daring things about... Uh, season four of the Americans last year was that it wrapped up two of the it didn't wrap up but it definitely put on ice two major B plots mm -hmm. that have sort of sustained the show um, that was wild and surprising and really gratifying to see them do it in such a surprising um, unexpected way but it left a it left a gap you know it left it, they didn't start to fill those holes with new subplots they didn't bring in new characters and Again, that's part of the DNA of the Americans that I respect. They're just slowly boring into the heart of the show, which is this family and these specifically these two characters. And it makes sense as they turn the corner, there are only a few episodes left in this season and a shorter season next year before they wrap up, that they didn't start to add stuff. But I felt the loss. It okay. felt a little bit lesser without uh, Martha, without Nina on the show this year. Um, but Americans is always playing the long game. And, uh, you know... It, 
it, it's it's funny. It's almost like the show is now being paced better for the streaming era mm-hmm. because there have been some things this season, like like the the digging. They dug a hole in the season premiere. Like literally, there was digging a hole for like fifteen minutes. I was like, wow, just just settle in. <laughs> there was an episode that ended with like them in bed looking at each other and being like, "Are you sure?" I was like, wow, this, this is like the anti-peak TV show. There's literally nothing happening here that's making me want to tune in next week, right. you know, even though I'm a huge fan. Um, but it sinks in. And so it's rhythmically, it's almost like it's rhythmically out of step even more so than it always was. But I remain, I ride, man. I'm on the island. I love that show. couple one-word answers here. Is Kendrick Mara or Lamar elite? For, I, don't, I can't imagine why we were asking this question. Is Kendrick Lamar elite? Yes. Yes. Do you hear that part in Humble where he talks about TED Talk? Louis C.K. or Dave Chappelle? Um, when? Just, what's your first, what's the response, though? Like, yeah, I know there's a lot of caveats to it. <sighs> there's so many questions within that. I'm going to go Chappelle. Yeah, like, who do I ride for forever? Chappelle. Like, but who's, I was going to say, who's stand-up do I want to watch more yeah. right now? C.K. Secretly, secretly kind of, I was going to say C.K., but secretly Chappelle, because you don't know what he's going to do. Is The Sopranos still the GOAT? Um... Yeah, probably. I mean, I, I, you could argue other shows, but yeah, sure, it is. I would, say, I would say no. What What is? Mad Men. Interesting. I kind of want to agree with you. I go all over the place with these shows. I I can get very, very hype on the idea that The Wire was the greatest show of all time, and I've, I've often espoused that. But I think, I think a lot about Mad Men. I miss Mad Men a lot. We're going to end on this question from John who uh, wants to know if I could spend a little bit more time on the podcast talking about my belief in magic. I think that's exceptional. I think that's a good use of mic time. I went to the Magic Castle again last week. What? Yeah. First of all, why are you living this secret life for me? I moved out here to be closer to you. <laughs> um, it was a really good night there. Like, uh, do, do, um, Wait, back up. Do you like, is it like, you dropping by the comedy no, cellar. No, it's actually and like, quite complicated to go. Like there used to be a thing where you could like if you went and you paid to get your picture taken there, then you would get a pass creepy. for the next time you went. And that was kind of like because it's a club, it's not does, like you don't just buy tickets. Does Neil Patrick Harris take your picture? No, but he does have a cocktail named after him there. Yeah, he does. And um so we went last week and it was wonderful. And they had like a really good lineup of guys. There was a dude doing kind of like close magic at a bar for a while. And you know, like he was doing a lot of like card tricks that were pretty good but he got warmed up and like started really doing some wild shit yeah but and wild shit there was was definitely like two two guys at the end where i was just like magic is real there was one guy who was just like straight up like what card are you thinking like what card (laughs) like think of a card and Uh then he would guess it and you're just like do you have my facebook account and then there was another where a dude straight up produced three baby chicks out from under cups that had been like empty and then after that produced like two doves out of straight fucking nowhere yo they did bird magic yeah so like it, i i'm sure i heard the birds like while i was there i was like oh there's birds somewhere in here Could, like like bird like, call to like me, what? it's magic isn't like the birds were there i don't think that he brought them from a different dimension it is like the magic is the sleight of hand that's amazing that someone can do that are you a magic head now no i'm not a magic head but i'm just like i, I appreciate the art form um, we do have to wrap up Wait, a little bit of a short show today. Stand-up comedy or, or, or magic? What are you going to on a Friday night? Magic. Really? Yeah. Magic. This, I feel like we have to just... Stand-up comedy? What would you do? Stand-up comedy. Um, I don't know. It's its own kind of magic. They make laughs appear out of thin air. 
Um, we'll be back on Monday. We'll probably talk about Kendrick. We'll let you know about some other stuff. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sending in your questions. Uh, until next time. Alakazam Baranski. <laughs> Thanks again to Sonos for sponsoring our episode. For sound you can feel from a speaker you'll hardly notice, you need Playbase from Sonos. Its low-profile design practically disappears beneath your TV while filling your entire room with epic audio. Playbase adds pulse-pounding sound to whatever's playing from movies and sports to TV and gaming and music. And you don't even have to read the manual. The Sonos app guides you through every step of setup. One power cord, one optical cord, that's all it takes. Everything sounds better on the Playbase. See for yourself at Sonos.com. That's S-O-N-O-S.com. Thanks again to Delta for sponsoring today's show. Uh, Delta Studio offers access to 1,000 hours of every type of entertainment for every passenger, 100% for free. You can choose from up to 300 movies, HBO Showtime, 18 channels of live satellite television on select flights, podcasts, thousands of songs, television shows, and games, and Delta has partnered with content providers like HGTV, Refinery29, Food Network, Hulu Originals, WMYC Studios, Curious World, Headspace, and Disney XD. Stream Delta Studio on your laptop, iPhone, iPad, or Android tablet by downloading the GoGo Entertainment app.